It's an open mic Friday on this March the 1st in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and you're listening to Open Mic Long Gospel. You can call me, but I'm not going to give the numbers out quite yet because I want to reply to an item that was told to me in another Open Mic Friday. It was a letter from Cheryl. She also sent me an email after she had phoned. And she said she was concerned about this so-called gospel voice published online in the Daystar Journal. And it's subtitled Gospel Voices in and for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And it's Daystar Journal. Now, I was not that familiar with that, so she was telling me that she did not like the article that was written that was kind of pro-abortion by a Dr. Metzler. So I decided, well, let me go take a look at this. And I found the Daystar Journal, and I first of all looked up, of course, lcms.org, Daystar Journal, to see what the relationship with the Daystar Journal and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is. Guess what? There is no relationship. And I can understand it because if you go to Daystar Journal and start looking at the so-called authors of the articles there, their Seminex is represented. Seminex was that group that does not believe in the historical events of the Bible, many of them. And therefore, there was that big split in 1974 uh, between the Missouri Synod and the Seminex professors. And it was one of the first times that a conservative denomination like the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was able to overcome the liberal inroads that were being taught, particularly at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. So I wanted to know why Cheryl was kind of upset with the article by Dr. Norman Metzler, and he's a retired professor of theology at Concordia University in Portland, Oregon. And as I started reading it, I can really understand why she was upset over it. He has a number of statements. I'll just touch a few of them. The sordid history of illegal abortions in our recent national history prior to Roe v. Wade alone should be sufficient grounds for keeping abortions legal and therefore medically safe and responsible. Wow. Did you hear what he's saying there? Uh, Before Roe v. Wade, uh, women who attempted abortions ended up dying. Is he unaware of the women today who die because of abortions? Is he unaware of all the children who die because of abortions? Well, you're going to see that he doesn't consider them to be human beings and children. For example, he goes on. In most states, abortion is actually illegal after the fetus becomes viable, typically around 24 weeks into the pregnancy. Now, I'm not sure when he wrote this, but I tell you, he's really ignorant 
that that is not true. We have had a number of states now that not only allow an abortion all the way up to the time of birth, but after the birth, a mother can decide to have the child killed if she's got certain reasons like uh, she's not going to get a promotion if she has to take care of a child or something along those lines. In other words, he indicates that it is only potential life developing within her. And therefore, she may choose to terminate a pregnancy that is otherwise not self-aborting. And she may make this choice due to various circumstances and, and listen to one of them. Because the timing of the pregnancy is undesirable. Boy, you use that kind of thinking. You have a two-year-old child, and all of a sudden you get a chance to get a promotion or something, but having a child is going to, boy, make it a bad timing. So why don't you just go ahead and put the child to death? Another statement, in light of the above, it is misleading, if not emotionally manipulative, for anti-abortionists to refer to abortion as taking the life of a child or of a person equivalent, for example, to murdering a two-year-old. Really? And then he says, such biblical references as the baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb an individual being known by God from the womb, that may be Jeremiah, or proscriptions against violence and toward pregnant women are either poetic utterances or provisions of ancient Jewish law. In other words, he's putting them in the same category as the ceremonial laws. Well, why don't you also do that with uh, murder? Uh, for example, a Muslim can put to death his daughter if she is seeing men that he does not authorize. He also says we are not reflecting an awareness of the modern medical and moral complexities in the current abortion discussion. Wow. Really? In fact, the more complex we get, the more we see that a baby feels pain very early in the process in the womb. And he says, while the egg and sperm, the zygote, the embryo, and the fetus, and the fetus all have the potential to develop into a child, an individual person, now you're ready for this? they do not yet have that status before they are actually born. Boy, I would hate to be a child of this character. Dad, you mean when I was in mom's womb, you didn't consider me to be your child? Oh, no, 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 not till you were born. Then this next one is really ridiculous. At the none of the stages of pregnancy does the potential human being possess those essential qualities we associate with actual personhood. 
an independently functioning mind and body, a fully defined unique physical appearance, a distinctive personality, and interaction with others in a network of human relationships. Oh, really? So you have to have a network of human relationships before you can be considered to be a human being? And what does he do with John the baptizer who leaped in the womb for joy? He met every one of these criteria that he says are essential qualities we associate with actual personhood. He says, I trust all are agreed that Christians should reach out with compassion and support to women who, for whatever reasons, have had an abortion. Support? Support of what? We would support them if they were repentant of murdering a child, but we would not support them in having the abortion. And he compares it, just as we should deal compassionately with those who grieve the loss of a pregnancy due to a miscarriage. Now, I think a uh, chosen abortion is quite different than a miscarriage. And for him not to know that distinction. And then he really hits the pro-life movement. He says, we expend so much energy and resources on the narrow goal of preventing legal abortions while expending relatively so little energy and resources on rescuing from death the many millions of actual, not potential, living children who are full human persons with unique names, appearances, personalities, and relationships. Has he never heard of Lutherans for Life? Do you know how much time they spend, how much energy they spend in, in fact, one of the big things they're showing is that uh, abortion, the taking a life of a little child in the womb, is very similar to taking the life of an older person who people don't want to have around anymore and there's no hope for their disease, etc. So allow a doctor to put them to death. I, I can understand why a person was really upset in taking a look at this article from Daystar Journal. So I did a little bit more. It just so happens the Daystar Journal allows comments. And the comments after this one are really interesting. Uh, one is, abortion is just semantics for murder. Go read the Ten Commandments if you are confused. Wow. Dr. Metzler, you stand against the full weight of biblical authority, the clear teachings of Scripture, and a completely unbroken line of 2,000 years of church tradition on this issue. Abortion is murder, period. Please, Dr. Metzler, repent of this. Then another one, do you seriously write this as a doctor of theology? How could you have attained such a high level of education with such horrible lapses of logic and gaps of intellect? First, and he did this, a human baby is not analogous to an acorn. 
Second, marriage isn't part of God's plan of fecundity. Clearly, it is a result of being a creation living in a fallen world. So, again and again, in fact, I, I didn't really find one positive uh, letter. And the lady who wrote me, her letter doesn't even appear here. So, what is this group? Well, unfortunately, they are made up of members of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm talking about the Daystar Journal. However, if you go through their articles, they're hardly anything in line with the gospel message of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The other article that, uh, and you just scan the articles, they started in, I think, 2010, is a homosexual Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastor who's complaining that he didn't get any support for his homosexuality. That's the kind of group Daystar Journal is. So if you ever read anything like it, don't at all consider it to be part of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It is not. These are a group of individuals, and they have various names. You can take a look at them. But as I was looking at the ones I knew, they, at least in my kind of experience with them, they did teach false doctrine. Even though they try and give the impression that the Daystar Journal is the gospel voice in and for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It's only in because the members are part of the clergy of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but it's not in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's understanding of doctrine. And we've got a number of groups, Issues Etc. was talking about them, uh, congregational matters who also have a group of individuals who want a much more liberal point of view in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And they're trying to, of course, stop the reelection of President Matthew Harrison, but they're doing it by means of lies and other things. So, I was somewhat ignorant of the Daystar Journal. I'm not anymore. You can look it up and read it yourself because I think anybody who is a member of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, will begin to understand how absolutely ridiculous these folks are. All righty. We're going to go to the phone lines right now, and we're going to start with James. Hi, James. You're on the air. Uh, listen to you make those distinctions between uh, postmodern moral complexities and proper hermeneutics uh, in regards to the articles in the Daystar Journal. That was that was very interesting, Pastor. Thank you I much. I'll, I think I'll look that up and uh, and and, uh, and look at some of those things. But today, I'd like for you to do something for us if you have time. Well, I'm running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do it real quick there. Uh, is there an absolute or universal interpretation and application for First Timothy 
chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. How do you explain that submission is not subordination in today's cultural context? How do you explain what now? How do you explain that submission is not subordination in today's cultural context? Right. And the verses are 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. We'd like to know if there's an absolute or a universal interpretation for those. Okay, be glad to take a look at that. Thank you very much. And I know you like to be off the air then, too. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14. Uh, first thing I like to do is uh, perhaps uh, read the section, because this is a letter of Paul uh, to Timothy. And it's a very important letter, because he writes two of them. But chapter 2, 11 to 14, reads as follows. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What we need to do is go back to Genesis where God gave the authority in the family to the male. That was kind of a curse. Who wants to have authority? But, for example, in uh, and I spoke about this a little earlier with myself and my uh, wife, uh, Louise, I've never had to use authority over her in the sense that she didn't want to do something. When we had children, we both agreed they needed to be baptized. Uh, We both love going to church. Uh, We read the Bible. So there was no need at all for me to use uh, authority. That This doesn't mean she's subordinate or submissive in the sense of like being a slave, you have to take a look at the word submissive. It's from the Latin, meaning under, sub, like submarines, and missio, to be sent. Jesus was submissive to the Father. He learned from the Father what was going to be his future on the cross and the resurrection from the dead. Would you say that Jesus was subordinate to the Father? No. The creeds make very clear they are equal. Every child is subordinate to the parents, both mother and father. When I worked at the various jobs I worked at, roofing or a car assembly plant, I was an employee and I was subordinate to the employer. Did that make me like a slave or less equal in God's eyes to the employer? No, not at all. God has a way of keeping order in a fallen world. And he has had the male is the one who is to watch over the family and to take care of them. So therefore, when a woman is to be silent... This is in the context of when a male is saying the word of God, for her to be silent 
doesn't mean she can't teach the children or teach Sunday school or be part of a Bible class and speak up, but she cannot speak out against what the male is saying if it is in accord with the Word of God. In, in fact, Paul even makes the point that if there's a situation where the woman marries an unbeliever, she stays married to him with the hope that perhaps they will come to faith, the unbeliever. Uh, let's go talk with Cindy. Cindy, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Baker. Hi. Um, a long time ago, I had a miscarriage, and um, I was in the um, LCA when that happened. And my pastor came to visit me, and he told me that I had a potential. I really did not have um, a baby. I had a potential, and I was um, definitely not uh, comforted with those words, and I was definitely consternated by those words, and caught it, that caused me to become very angry and, and basically spe- especially angry at God. And it was a godly woman in my congregation that called me to see how I was doing, and I flat out told her, I was not doing well because I was mad at God. And, you know, you can be mad at a lot of people, but being mad at God is, it, it bothered me. It yes. made me afraid, and, and, it, and it bothered me incredibly. And she said that God was big enough to handle my anger. And because of that, that's the kinds of things that brought me comfort and to draw me closer to him in the grief that my husband and I were going through at that time. But I did not have a potential. I had a baby. No. In fact, was the baby given a burial? The baby, what, the, the, my um, miscarriage happened between the third and fourth month. So okay. there was not, no, there, there was not, uh, no, there was not a burial. Um, how, was, how about even a worship service? Um. Probably not. No, no. Not no. with that pastor. No, 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 no. He he just flat out said. I mean, there was there was not, and people in my congregation, you know, um, but that was remember they're pro um, they're pro abort. That's mean, right. Pro abortion. They were, they were pro abortion then, yeah. and this was in I would say the uh, middle middle seventies. It was in the middle seventies. I would say seventy. 76 or so, 76 or so. Maybe. Well, maybe. remember, don't assume a pastor is speaking for God. I did not, I mean, okay. <laughs> C.F.W. Walther says, the sheep judge the shepherds. You could be mad at the pastor because he was not speaking God's word, but a lot of people recognize or think that their pastor always speaks God's word. But, boy, that is not true. All you have to do is turn on any other radio station, listen to sermons, and you'll hear things that are quite contrary to the Word of God. I don't think my faith was that what had right. advanced at that time. And, and I, you know, I actually, I um, was involved in a group with, um, with, some, with a Lutheran pastor. It had to do with Sunday school, teaching Sunday school teachers how to teach Sunday school. And the pastor in that group was an LCMS pastor, and he called me into his office, 
and we and he he did he did some things with me and told me some things and and it was so comforting yes it, it, it was excessively comforting and um and I did not i mean um God forgave me and um and i I was just grateful and hopefully maybe I'll be reunited in heaven with that child well, that is our hope also I had given a little study a while ago about five ways in which God brings children to heaven apart from baptism. Remember the little girls in the Old Testament? They were not circumcised, but they were considered part of the family of God. Absolutely. And so there's four other ways he did that. And so I appreciate the call, Cindy. Uh, Very helpful. But it's a message that's needed in this fallen world. Absolutely. Amen. God bless. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. Starting Monday, we're going to be going right into Lenten services for this coming week after. We've got 40 days, not counting the Sundays. I'm always interested in the season of Lent because of having services midweek also. So let's Look forward to being together again on Monday as we begin our Lenten study of the services. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.